Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyesful Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I am, of course, Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I am, of course, Derek Phillips. I play Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. Hey guys, we got merch. That's right, baby. We've got merchandise. We've got hats. We've got t-shirts. We've got hoodies. We've got uh, bumper stickers. We've got mugs, anything that you guys are thinking of. And you can pick all this stuff up at clearizefullheartspod.com. Once again, that's clearizefullheartspod.com. Today, we are talking about season one, episode eight, Crossing the Line. It was written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. Here we go with our NBC synopsis. While Tim and the team celebrate their victory, a frustrated smash takes drastic measures to improve his performance. Coach Taylor's daughter, Julie, contemplates a date with Matt. Jason plays in his first quad rugby game. Okay, big things are happening for our characters, and we have more stories from the production of the show. So let's get into the highlights. Before we get into the highlights and start our rewatch, this is a giant episode for Billy Riggins. So I have some pressing questions for you, Derek. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, I have a little trouble with this NBC synopsis because it says nothing about you. Like you were mentioned in the last synopsis, but this is the most Billy Riggins we've ever got. Yeah, this was a a huge episode for me. To the point, in episode seven, I get a knock on my trailer door midway through the episode. And I open it and Kyle Chandler's standing outside. And he goes, hey, man. And I said, hey. And he goes, you read episode eight yet? And I said, no. And he knew that I hadn't read episode eight yet because of the fact that the guest stars and the co-stars on this show, they were kind of notorious. And they're kind of notorious in every show of not getting us our scripts until like the night before or two days before. And part of that is because they know if you know too much about your storyline, you might start asking for more money. So Kyle came and knocked on my door and was like, hey, man, have you read episode eight yet? And I said, no, I haven't. He goes, here's my script. So he gave me his script of episode eight. heaven. Yeah. And so he goes, hands it to me and basically was like, good luck. And mm-hmm. I think he was a little nervous, like, hey, man, you've got a lot of stuff in this episode. I hadn't really done anything on this show at this point that he had seen. So I think that Kyle was like, we've got a good thing going here. Don't screw it up. So I'm sitting there in my trailer and I'm looking over episode eight. And I was just like, this is it was right up there with watching the pilot and getting this job because I finally had really, really good content and good 
good story to work with. So I was just pumped and so excited to to get to work on episode eight. And I remember calling my dad like specifically, I'm like, it's like 10 years of me doing this professionally as an actor. And finally, I've been given good material. Uh, and the first time I'd ever had good material on a television show or on television in general, I was usually the guy on a soap opera who was like, he went that way, you know? <laughs> uh, so this was, this was a huge moment for me. Did you do that actor thing where you just flash through the script and looked for your name the first oh, time or did you, yeah, you, I mean, can you like count your lines <laughs> it's way easier nowadays because the minute i get a script <laughs> i can just go into a pdf file and like search for my character's name and so i'll do that yeah of course i'm like flipping through it and i see billy 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 and i'm like wow 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 oh, uh, and same thing i still do that nowadays it's just way easier on a computer but yeah. yes Listen, and then you read the whole are, entire script I love that we're being honest because we all do that. Oh, <laughs> like, I think how many days am I going to work? they don't is a is a liar. <laughs> yeah, that's imba- God, that's amazing though. I feel like I feel like my heart would race if Kyle Chandler at that at that point in time in my career came up to my trailer and like handed me a script and be like, Ooh. Kyle's such a great guy though. And this was something like I I remember like sitting there during the pilot and while we were shooting the pilot, Kyle's just the nicest guy on the planet and just assumes that everybody has the same career that he has. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'm sitting there talking to him and I used to smoke back then and I'm sitting outside my trailer and he came walking by and he goes, Hey man, how you doing? I said, dude, I said, I was watching King Kong last night. You're great in that. He's like, you ever work with Peter Jackson? And I'm like, no, I haven't worked with Peter Jackson. Like this is the first time I've been on a TV show. Why would you think I've worked with Peter Jackson? But, you don't remember me from that movie, Lord of the Rings? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Right. I wasn't in that. No, that's the wonderful thing about Kyle. I mean, so many wonderful things about Kyle, but that's one of them too, is he just kind of treats everybody like an equal. No, there is no hierarchy. And on a film and television set, there is a built-in hierarchy. Well, you're given a number. What was yours again? You told us. I said originally I was 10, but like in hindsight, that's definitely not true. I was probably 13 or 14 on the call sheet. I was 46A, <laughs> which makes me believe there's a 46B. So I'm confused about that. Uh, yeah. And, and like back to Kyle Chandler. I mean, that's one of the, the amazing things about working with that guy. As I said, like he treats everyone as an equal. My first day on the set in episode eight, once again, he comes and knocks on my trailer door and he goes, hey, man, he goes, you need anything from me? And I go, what? And he goes, Ugh. what do you need from me in this episode? And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, that doesn't happen, guys. Oh, my God. It does not happen that the number one person on the call sheet comes to number 13 or 46A or B or whoever <laughs> to come and say, what do you need from me in this episode? That's our job as the person that's lower down on the call sheet. Well, I mean, technically, it should be every actor's job to like make sure that the scenes are. But that's how Kyle is, and that's the kind the kind of tone that was set by both Kyle and Connie on this show is that everyone is a contributor from day one. Kyle would walk up to you in the makeup trailer and say, "Hey, man, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Talk to you." I mean, I can't tell you how many shows I've worked on as an actor where you walk on set and no one says a word to you, and you're in the corner by yourself. You say your lines, you do your stuff. Everyone's joking and having a grand old time. And no one talks to you at all. Or everyone assumes you're a stand-in or a, a background actor, which happens to me every time I walk on the set as a guest actor. And I, and they, I have to be like, no, I'm, a, I'm in the scene. And I'm like apologizing for being there as a person. But I, like, I'm not a part of this yet. So it's, oh, it's a tricky balance. God, I, I actually didn't know that about Kyle, that he did that. That makes me love him even more. But that's one of the things, I mean, I learned that from Kyle. I actually spoke to him about that in the later in later in the season or a couple of years down the road. I said, but you made me feel so comfortable. And he goes, that's the objective, man. He's like, <sighs> we've got these people on here. We want them to be as good as they possibly can be. And the only way that a person can be as good as they possibly can be is if they feel confident when they're on set. 
and when they're around us. And that confidence comes from them feeling like they're wanted there and they're appreciated. And so I think when they, they say the fish stinks from the head down, and that's exactly what happens when you're on a television show. If number one and number two on the call sheet are jerks, it's going to make the whole entire show a nightmare to work on. And that's another reason why I think Friday Night Lights worked. And when I say number one and number two, number two being Connie Britton. And Connie and Kyle made that show from day one a place that you wanted to be in, a place where you were welcome and you felt like you could be creative and that you were an equal. Just us not even realizing at the time how lucky we were because we just assumed it was always like that. Now we know so much better. <laughs> we were lucky. And as you said, Stacey, I mean, there is a hierarchy on a film set. It's all around you from the size of your trailer to the wardrobe people to the way people treat you on set. And so to not constantly be reminded of that by the people that are the top dogs of that show is, it's a pretty special thing. I mean, hey, I think the second time I worked with Kyle, he invited me out for, for drinks that night. You know, that doesn't happen on most I'm glad we're doing a podcast about this show and not some of the other shows that you have <laughs> been on because there will be a very different podcast. <laughs> right? Speaking of, how about we get into this episode? I'm ready. Let's do it. opening scene this for some reason the two of you shopping at a grocery store is insane amounts of fun and i'm dying to know <laughs> how much of that was you two and how much of that was script i mean a lot of it was scripted but there was like one thing for instance i i think kitchen and i both agreed that him riding on the front of the shopping cart would be hysterical because i just remember being a kid and like always jumping on the front of the shopping cart when my grandmother or my mom was shopping and it used to drive them nuts so I think the whole entire the whole entire objective of this scene, I think, for Taylor was to just drive me crazy. You know what I mean? Do anything that you possibly can to annoy me and basically act like an eight-year-old. But the funnest part about this, and, and this comes from Jeffrey Reiner 100%. Jeffrey Reiner and I had a long discussion before this episode aired, and he said, look, he goes, I love what you're doing right now with this character. The only thing I worry about is that it's not sustainable. He said, if, if all we ever see from Billy is that he's angry and he's pissed off and he's a jerk to Tim, we've got nowhere to go. And he goes, so if we don't find something to make him a little bit more likable and a little bit more comedic, maybe, so that some of these scenes aren't just him being a jerk as much as it is him being overwhelmed and there's a comedic element to it, then I think we've got something we can play with and we can play with for years to come. And so in some respects, Jeffrey Reiner was kind of responsible for the tone that kind of changes in this episode with Billy. Because up until this point, Billy's just kind of a angry, pissed off, nagging. He's always that way, but now there's a little bit of levity behind it. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's just so, and, and I think that's what works in this scene. It's me grabbing the sunglasses out of his hand, me grabbing one. He keeps trying to get different foods. And so I'm just on the phone trying to carry on a conversation, but also like just getting hands on Kitsch every five seconds. You're wrangling in a toddler. Yes, that's that's how we were playing it. It's a toddler in a grocery store that's out of control, and I've, I'm trying to handle business. And so Billy's just we want to show that Billy is overwhelmed, and that yes, he's dealing with essentially a toddler. But that's why that the bag of peas when we grab the bag of peas and have the conversation about no, you had a good game last week. You got to start eating right. Obviously, that's going to be a very important thing later on. Ooh, a little foreshadowing. That was in the script, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The bag of peas is 100% in the script. Oh, you guys, Bridget Carpenter is 
not only an insane writer, she's insanely fun to hang out with. Okay. Also, this 180 happened so quickly that I was very confused. All of a sudden, Tim is like back into Tyra. He was so mad at her last episode. And now for some reason, he's like, nope. Hello. Well, physically, he's back into her. Yeah. I mean, it happens sometimes. Yeah. We've all been guilty of it. I know I have once or twice in my life, but yes. Yeah. The teenage hormones too. What are you going to do? It's hormones. Yeah. I mean, I I can't even tell you how many bad decisions I made at that age because I was thinking with the wrong head. (laughs) Can we say that? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Oh, this scene. Lila and Street, again, oh, the kissing is so incredibly loud and wet, but he, oh, he finally asks a question. I've been waiting, what, eight episodes now? Well, like six, I guess, six episodes now for him to say what he's feeling. But I also, I completely understand not asking the question because sometimes you honestly just, you're not ready for the truth. Every one of these Street Lila scenes, they're always like a knife through the heart. You know what I mean? Because you know how much Street has going on and... and- how awful his life is is at this moment. And then it's just, it always makes it worse. I don't know. Uh, Let's move on to something more positive. Oh, something, something more positive, like, like steroid use in teenagers. Just $300 a week. Any of the high schoolers I, I know or knew that the, that is an insane amount of money for a high schooler to have to even contemplate. Did you know that between 1% and 12% of high school boys and 0.5% and 3% of high school girls report use of anabolic steroids? I mean, most of these are are high school males competing in football, wrestling, or weightlifting. So, I mean, it's very common. Okay, so you go to practice and you decide to ask coach all of these questions in the middle of practice, which to me is just a very... A Billy thing to do. Yeah, Billy Billy now is, you know, he's the he's the soccer mom that he's never been. He's gonna be there and, and trying to make <laughs> sure that Tim is taken care of. <laughs> but this is this is the moment actually right before this scene that Kyle pulled me aside and was like, What do you need from me? What do you need from me in this episode? I love that. I wonder even like what would be the answer to that. I, I didn't even have an answer. I don't I don't even now have an answer. <laughs> but he also was like, you know, what do you think our relationship before this is? He's like, Do you think we know each other? And I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, well, I definitely know you. I don't know if you know me. And he goes, I, th- I like it better that we know each other. I think it makes it, you know, and I think that was always a smart choice. Do you know each other? What's your relationship? Make sure that you have a relationship. I think if you choose to have that our characters knew each other beforehand, I think it makes it that much more interesting. You got a backstory. So we may not be best buddies, but he knows who Billy Riggins is. He knows a little bit about, about our family and the fact that mom and dad are gone and then I'm the one taking care of Tim. And so I think that that plays the minute I walk up, he goes, hey, how you doing, Billy? Yeah, not even not even at all perturbed that you're there like interrupting his practice. And I don't know that that was scripted that way. I don't know that it was scripted that he knew who I was immediately. That's the, I wish I had these old scripts, man. I wish I had uh, held on to them because it'd be really great to, to compare and contrast. We're going to have to try and find them. Yeah. And again, it was at a time where we were not getting them electronically. We got like every day we would wake up and have a new hard copy at our doorstep. I used to feel bad for that person whose job it was. There was like a script delivery guy. God, I can't like how many scripts he had to deliver in a night. Mm. Like Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. Julie going into the Alamo freeze. I'm just obsessed with their weird, awkward, beautiful flirting. It's so awkward and it's so sweet. I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of this show across the board is the all the scenes with with Julie and Matt and <laughs> awkward Landry. Yeah. 
It's it's literally my favorite, I, maybe my favorite stuff on this show. And Landry just just like ping ponging, watching the two of them as confused as we are with their weird mating ritual. <laughs> but it's I mean it's you know what Jason Kadams and Bridget Carpenter and and all the wonderful writers on this show really just nail that teen angst. I mean it just I don't know about you, but it it just reminds me so much of being in high school. That awkwardness. It's so awkward. Yeah. I got. I have to say, moving on. Mm-hmm. I am one hundred percent behind Nurse Phil. I'm trying to <sighs> suspend my disbelief and and give in to this show. But if we look at an actual timeline, it has been mere weeks since this boy was paralyzed. Because I'm thinking about this is homecoming, so it's probably October. First football game was probably late August or September. Give this boy some time to heal and let those fusions heal. But nope, he's going to go into a scrimmage game. And I, there's part of me that like just cringes. But if I suspend my disbelief, I'm still going to say I agree with Nurse Phil, but I want the boys to have their fun. Yeah, I 100% am, am with you on this. I agree with where Nurse Phil's coming from. But I also understand that Street, like it's the first time that he's felt alive. You know what I mean? The first time that he feels like he's got something to live for. So I can also understand why he wants to jump into it and get back to some semblance of normalcy. Mm, I get that. And then going into this scene with Herc and Jason in the hallway and them falling out of their wheelchairs again, because I'm still in that place of like, he's, he is a, he's a fragile being to me in his state of healing. I freaked out. And then I started laughing with them. It's one of my favorite scenes on Friday Night Lights across the board, because it kind of incorporates everything that we talk about. It's got brilliant acting, brilliant writing, brilliant choreography from the way that they go down that ramp. You know what I mean? And then it ends with the two of them on the ground, helpless and screaming Phil at the top of their lungs. I just, it's one of those scenes that kind of guts me every single time I see it. And it's also just kind of slaps you in the face with the reality of what their lives are. They can't get up. The only option is to ask for help. And then, I mean, you add to it just the brilliant acting by by Kevin Rankin and, and Scott Porter. I love how quickly he fell into this this insanely huge big brother role with Street. He goads him and hurts him and loves him and is like telling him truth that nobody else will. Oh, Herc, I love you. One of my favorite characters on the show, one of my favorite scenes on the show. And then you add to it that that one thing that Friday Night Lights does so well, which is you've got these very serious scenes, but there's an element of levity to it, which that's that's what makes it human. I mean, any good drama, I think there's always, with all of us. We all laugh in tragedy. You have to. Yeah, Yeah. you have to. I remember being at a funeral years ago and saying, God, if he knew how ugly his casket was, he'd die. (laughs) It's a good line. You know, in those awful moments, it's kind of all you can do. Humor is what saves us and what keeps us going. So uh, the show just nails those moments so well. One of my favorite lines of the show so far has to be you saying, run a comb through your hair for once in your life. Going back to what we said earlier, I don't know if I improv that line. I'm sure it was scripted. But seriously, does that boy even own a brush? I don't know. I don't think so. But it makes me think that maybe I improv that line because I, I personally, Derek Phillips, am jealous of Taylor's hair. Aren't we all? So I was constantly... It's good. He'd make a joke about me being short or whatever, and I'd make a joke about his beautiful, luscious hair. It does look a little dirty all the time, though. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but it's so luscious. Not Taylor. Taylor Kitsch's hair is beautiful. Tim Riggins' hair always looks a little dirty to me, and it's part of the charm, I guess. Question. Steak knives as a host gift? Like, honestly, 
I'm not mad at it. There's actually a wonderful story about the steak knives, actually, because Taylor and I were were about to shoot this scene at Coach and uh, Coach and Tammy's house, and we're sitting in the garage waiting because Kyle and Connie were shooting another scene at that moment. So they called us to set. They're, we're getting wired because they put our, our uh, microphones. They literally put microphones like on your chest or wherever. You know, I mean, it varies from wardrobe to wardrobe. But Taylor and I are sitting there about to shoot the scene, and we're getting wired. And he goes, "Hey." we should bring them some kind of housework or like some kind of present. And I was like, what? And he goes, let's find something. Cause we're in somebody's actual garage and we're looking on the shelves in the garage. And he goes, what about this? And there was a set of steak knives and there's one missing. <laughs> Wait, so they're not all even there. No, it was a set of steak knives. I think there were like six steak knives, but there were only like five steak knives in the actual box. There's that old adage, never show up to a, a person's house empty handed. You know, <laughs> so I guess Billy, thought he'd, he'd bring some steak knives and we just played with it. And Taylor and I were giggling so hard laughing about this because we couldn't wait to show this to Connie and Kyle. And so we knock on the door and the minute we open the door, I pull out the steak knives and I go, Hey, hey thanks Connie. Here, or, you know, Tammy, here you go, Tammy. And t- the expression on her face is like, why the hell is he giving me steak? knives? <laughs> Shut up. And if you watch, you get a very real response from Tammy. Who's like, Oh, steak knives. Great. Thank you. And then Tim says something about there being one missing or something. I don't know exactly what was kept and what was cut, but I mean, at one point, Connie had to turn away from camera because she was laughing, but they kept all of that. And it just wound up being this really organic and really kind of fun moment. And these are the kind of moments that I feel like as, as, as I got more comfortable in the character and as Taylor got more comfortable playing Tim, we would, we would kind of throw in and we would just have fun with each other. And it would be these really, it was just the Riggins brothers. They're just uneducated and they're dumb and they're trying their best. This is how you guys became a comic duo. This whole dinner, holy moly, this whole dinner is so awkward. And my favorite thing is that Julie doesn't say one word because why would she? No, poor Julie's just sitting there like, what? So awkward. Yeah, this is one of those moments where Kyle just eats through the whole entire thing. He eats all through the scene. He eats in between takes. And I'm like, how can this man put away, I believe it was lasagna. Like, how do you put away that much lasagna during the court? Like, and they had a spit bucket and they're like, you want this? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, here's another, uh, another snacking moment from Friday Night Lights. Coach and Landry to me are the, are the kings of snacking so far in this show. But yeah, this is, this is the most awkward dinner on the planet. What, what happens? Does he spill something on you? I know I spilled like a whole glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had gotten angry because he was talking about dad. Yeah. And he's basically like, dad's a great guy and the dad sends money. And I'm saying, when's the last time dad sent money? And this is where dinner got awkward. Yeah. Well, I think Billy was trying really, really hard to just kind of try and put his best foot forward, not let coach know how big of a screw up he actually is. And Tim is just undermining that the whole entire time. I, I mean, I've definitely had situations like that before in my life where it's like, why are you acting like this right now? awkward (laughs) it's awkward to watch going straight from awkward into a scene that i find so simple and so pure is not the right word but it's coach and street coaches in the wheelchair and they're having a very a, a very vulnerable talk with each other and at the same time streets like teaching him about i guess quad rugby and how rough it is and stuff and there's like no bells and whistles on it. It's just the two of them talking and the camera is, is really simple. There's something super earnest about the entire scene. I've, I absolutely fell in love with it. I had not seen this scene before. 
I agree 100%. The acting is brilliant, obviously, but there's just something about Jeffrey Reiner as a director. I'm telling you, I, I would love to see what that scene was originally and what Jeffrey Reiner brought to it. He just ups the stakes. You've got two very, very good actors there. And what makes a good actor great is having a great director, someone who, can, who you trust and that you, that's overseeing it that goes, all right, what you guys are doing right now is fantastic. Let me try and raise the stakes a little bit. And I feel like that's what, what Jeffrey Reiner did every episode he directed. I loved working with him. I can't even fathom any other show that I've been on trying to shoot a ping pong scene as far as continuity goes and cutting and editing. And we have Cochin's daughter playing ping pong. And I'm like, this is the only show that could get away with this. I know I just said this is one of my favorite scenes, but this is also, I mean, this episode is just chock full of amazing moments. This episode is Stellar. Which is part of the reason why this is the episode that was submitted to the Emmys when they were trying to get, when they were attempting to get Friday Night Lights nominated in the first season. This was the episode that was submitted. But this scene with Kyle and, and, uh, and, and Amy playing ping pong, it's so simple. And as you said in the, about the last one, just earnest. It's real. You feel like a fly on the wall watching this scene. Every girl I know has had this conversation with her dad. It usually happens around like 10th or 11th grade. Mine happened with my dad when he was trying to teach me poker because he thought that if I could beat guys at poker, then it would give me like strength and power and I would have body autonomy and whatever. But like I, I went through this awkward talk with my dad. I did not have that awkward talk with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> no. About how all all that women want is to sleep with with boys. No, that didn't that didn't happen. Okay, I am not saying this because I love you and you're my friend. Billy is not wrong in this fight. Everything you say is right. And everything you say is true. I feel like your delivery is a bit aggressive, but Billy's right and Tim is wrong. I agree with you 100%. And I know I'm biased, but like I, I've, it frustrates me sometimes when people are like, oh, I hate Billy. And I'm like, do you even have an idea of where Billy's coming from? Billy may not be great at, at expressing himself, or, but like he's 100% right in this. Mom and dad aren't around. Billy is the one who has had to take care of him, has had to do everything for this kid. And he's an unappreciative little punk, at least in this scene. I don't want to get hate mail because I said something awful about Tim Riggins. But Tim Riggins is a jackass, in my opinion, in this scene. He's kind of, he's being a, he's a little bit of a brat to you. Now, did I have to react the way that I did? Did Billy have to go as crazy as he did? No, of course not. That's not how you should handle things. But he's right. Here's another moment, though, talking about Jeffrey Reiner and how Jeffrey Reiner just elevates a scene. On paper, I remember this one specifically. On paper, it says that Billy gets up and throws a bottle up against the wall. And Jeff said before we started, he goes, how do you want to do this? And I said, why don't we just, why don't we just play it? I'll show you what I have in mind, and then you can kind of go from there. And he was like, all right, all right. So we shoot it. I get up. I throw a bottle up against the wall, and that's kind of like my big, angry moment. And Reiner goes, uh, that was great. He goes... He says to props, how many, how many bottles do we have? They're like, we have about 15 breakaways. And he's like, because these are breakaway bottles. They're not real. Yeah, bottles. guys, a breakaway bottle. It, if you see anything on camera where somebody gets like smashed over the head with a glass bottle, it's actually sugar that they make into glass. And so it doesn't hurt, but it looks really, really real. Yeah. 
so he, I think that that props said we had like twelve bottles or something like that. And Reiner goes, bring them all out, and he set them all up on the counter. And he goes, and get him a golf club. We have a golf club, and I'm like, what's he doing? So now this moment where I stand up and I throw the bottle up against the wall. Instead, I've stood up, and now I've got a golf club. And as an audience, you're going, oh, he's not going to hit him with a golf club, is he? So I think that you're sitting on the edge of your seat, like, is he going to hit his brother with a golf club? So you, as an audience. Now you're far more engaged. The threat level has become way bigger than it was before of me just yelling and raising my voice and throwing a bottle up against the wall. But now I'm yelling and I've got a golf club in my hand and you're sitting there going, oh no, what, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? And Reiner said, just hit the, hit the bottles. In that moment where you throw the bottle, just hit the bottles with the golf club. And so I swung, that was one take, boom, got all the bottles that I could with that one take because we had no more left after that. And Reiner said, I want you guys to do this scene up until the physical part. And, and, and I don't want you guys doing any of the physicality stuff. And we're like, okay, cool. We did that one take. And then Reiner says, I'm going to do one more take. And he went over and he whispered something to Taylor. And I didn't know what he whispered to Taylor. But we had said beforehand, I said to Taylor, hey, man, do you want to stunt double on this? Because I don't want to stunt double on this. I don't want them to choreograph this scene. It's two brothers. I don't think we need to have this choreographed. I'm comfortable. I've got elbows on. I've got knees on. I've got a back brace on. Do whatever you want to in this. And I was also young at that point. I felt I wrestled growing up. You know what I mean? I was a wrestler in high school. So I'm like, just do whatever you want, man. And so Reiner had said, we're going to take it up to right before the physicality and then stop. And so I pushed him in the chest. And then, and as I said, Reiner went over and whispered something to Taylor. And right before, I'm expecting Reiner to yell cut and Taylor just tackled me on top of the couch. And so I responded the way I would naturally as a wrestler. And I got over (laughs) what's called an overhook underhook on him. And I rolled him over and got him on his back. And from that point on, that was the scene. We just kept going and never cut. And he pushed me into the TV. Like we knew there were things that we had to hit. Like we knew at some point we had to knock the TV over. And so we wrestled around on the ground. I got him up. He pushed me into the TV. And that was, that was the scene. Basically. I think we might've done a pickup or two, but there were no, no stunt coordinator, no stunt men. That was just Taylor and I basically going all out. I have anxiety for me telling me that my God. But we had told Reiner beforehand, like, look, man, we don't want stunt doubles in this. I don't want it to be choreographed. These guys aren't parkour fighters they're just two brothers wrestling around having this fight yeah and it's not like they're like throwing and landing punches they're gonna wrestle like brothers yeah i don't i have two brothers so like i understand it but i mean they we don't wrestle like that they would punch me in the arm this was a huge scene for me specifically because i remember thinking if at the end of this scene i can get to tears if i can get to a moment where i'm breaking down We as an audience will know that I love my brother. And from that point going forward, I can do whatever I want to him. I can be a jerk. I can be an ass. I can be the, but as long as the audience knows that I love him, I'm golden. Interesting that it's this scene that you would find that place. I wanted for the audience to understand why Billy does what he does and also understand that Billy loves his brother. And and if those two things come across in that fight scene, then then I'll be back on this show. That was my theory as an actor. Um, the, the golf swing made me gasp out loud. I fully was not expecting broken bottles. But then also you have a line where you say, have you heard from mom and dad? And it's on me that I had just assumed that your mom had probably passed away. So both your parents have completely 
left you guys and for you to take care of everything. And he's overwhelmed. I mean, I think we said at this point in time, Billy was like 26 years old or something. I think I was 29 or 30 at that point. And he's had to give up everything to take care of his brother, who's an unappreciative little punk. When we have Taylor on the show, he can defend his actions. He can defend his actions when he comes on the show. But yeah, you just got fired too. So like, there's no, everything is stacking up for this guy. It's just a lot going on. This show does that too. They just, it's like, you think one bad thing happened? Here, we're going to give you 30. Speaking of, and then we go, Brian, 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 smash. He, I could, I could almost go along and understand the taking of the money from the register from the Alamo freeze. Can I stay on board with loving smash as much as I do if he takes money from his church? Oh, it, it, this is a scene that just punches you right in the gut. And you look at Liz Michael, who plays Mama Smash, and just the reaction. She's like, I, I, I got it for you, baby. Like, I'm looking out for you. I'm taking care of you. And, and the expression on Gaius's face, who plays Smash, when he sees it, it's like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, no. What did I just do? I don't remember having SAT prep as a thing that was available. I didn't study for the SATs. I didn't know tutors were available. I didn't, I just took the SATs. Well, I did. I didn't take an SAT prep course. And I think that's why I'm in the situation I am right now. That's why I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. But no, I seriously think uh, there were a lot of kids that took SAT preps when I was in school. And I think they say that like, just by taking an SAT prep course, you can like boost your, your score by like 400 points. And had that been the case, it's like, that's the difference between going to a good school and going to a really good school. So who knows? I didn't even study for them. I just showed up and took them. I remember one of my friends saying, like, when you're taking an SAT prep course, this is so off topic, but when you're taking an SAT prep course that, like, there's some questions that you, like, make sure that you don't just randomly answer them. You're better off not answering than answering and not knowing. And I didn't know that. Just mad. I'm mad at myself. See? This is why we should have taken the SAT prep course. Whatever. I still did really well in the SATs. So how about that? My, I'm not going to lie. My cat was on my lap for most of this episode. And she got very angry at me because when Street punched Tim Riggins in the face, I screamed out, oh my God. I just was not was not prepared. I guess neither was Tim. But I, yeah, she got real mad at me. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think old Tim saw that one coming. Yeah. And once again, I love Tim Riggins, but he kind of deserved it. Oh, he's deserved that for a while. I also think one of the worst insults you can throw at a boy, a man like Tim Riggins, is to call him a coward. And Street calls him a coward. And guess what? He has been, though, for what he did with Lila, but also because he never showed up at the hospital. And man, he called him out to his face. And it's about time. Getting some comeuppance. It's, it's tough, too, because I also, you know, I sympathize with Tim 100%. I feel for everybody in this episode, obviously. I think that's why the writing is so good because you can see all these different storylines and you go, I feel for Street and Street's right. But then I also go, but I feel for Tim. I mean, look at what this kid has at home. Look at what his home life is. He's got an alcoholic older brother who doesn't know what he's doing. They have no money. Mom and dad left. So he obviously has commitment issues and has issues expressing his feelings. Listen, everybody in the show needs to go to some therapy. Let's just call it like it is. Yes. Everyone. It'd be very beneficial. <laughs> you talk about favorite scenes on Friday Night Lights. I had not watched this entire episode before, but I have quite a few times watched what I call the grilled cheese scene. It is 
top five favorite scenes of the entire series of Friday Night Lights for me. I'm going to have to agree with you. And I am very, very biased, obviously. This scene to me is, is such a brilliant Friday Night Lights scene. When we talk about all the elements coming together, I know I'm biased. I think it's well acted. I'm going to toot my own horn here. Uh, but we're not really doing much. So much of what's, what gives you the feels in this scene is the way it's shot and the way it's written. And you got that callback to the peas. Remember, we picked up peas early on in the episode because Tim or Billy says, you've been playing well, you, you need to start eating healthy. And so Billy picks up a bag of peas. And now the bag of peas is going to be used to, for Tim to ice his eye after Street punches him in the eye. So you got that moment. I remember I almost screwed this scene up because Reiner had the camera behind us. And I was like, don't you want to shoot the two of our faces? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I already got coverage of that. And he shot us from behind. And at the end of it, like, I, there was this uncomfortable silence between the two of us. And I said something like, you want to watch ESPN? And Reiner goes, no, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And that's how these two forgive each other. I slide my beer over and I, and I share my grilled cheese sandwich and nothing needs to be said. This, this is what I'm talking about with Reiner where he just sometimes lets, lets it be. It's quiet. You don't see your faces. We just see the body language of the Riggins brothers is all we need to know what's happening in this scene. It's the shooting of it. The writing of it is brave. And because it's given to you guys, it's everything that needs to be anything, anything more, a bigger shot or any words from you would have, would lessen it in my, in my top five favorite scenes in FNL. It's perfect. I'm still upset that in my mind, I thought I had to say something there. I don't know why I felt that way. And maybe it was because I had that, I felt like, oh, I'm not doing anything. But that was also a huge lesson on the on this show. I get that. Listen, in the theater, this scene would be very different. In the theater, we would want words there. We would need action. We would need something to happen. You can't just, you know, especially like have your two people with their backs to the audience not saying anything. And one other thing that I think is a, a huge, Calexico's Iron and Wine playing underneath it. Oh, yeah. That song, every time I hear it, you know, it's not a huge song, but every time I hear that song, it just takes me right back to this moment. It's just, it just, ah, it's just, a, as I said, just a brilliantly edited, brilliantly shot, well-acted, well-written scene across the board. And you got the callback to the peas. I love a great callback. And so I remember reading it and being, and when he came in with a black eye, in my head, I went, oh, the peas, the peas. And of course, like, then you see that he pulls the peas out and you're like, yes. <laughs> I mean. It's satisfying. I love when there's a callback to something. When you introduce something early on in a show or in a, t or in a movie and then it's brought back later in that episode or at the end of that film. And it's just, man, I can't say enough about the writing on this show. Listen, this episode, I'm a big, big fan of the show. You're fine. <laughs> I think this is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, episodes of Friday Night Lights. There's some great ones. I, I don't know about saying the strongest, but it's, it's up there. It's definitely in the top 10, I think. So far for me as a newbie, it is my favorite so far. Oh, really? And I'm not even in it. But I think that's the thing too, is I think that it's like any good television show, it takes a couple of episodes, uh, but I think everyone's starting to get in that zone right now. We understand what we can do. We understand what we can get away with. We understand what our, who our characters are. Because as, as I said, you're going to start to see a little bit more comedic stuff from Taylor, who up until this point has been just brooding. But you're going to see this. He's going to become three-dimensional. Well, Derek, you knocked this one out of the park. Thank you, Stace. I appreciate it. Guys, that is it for episode eight. 
Join us next time for episode nine when we have another special guest. Hey, my name is Gaius Charles, and I play Brian Smash Williams, a.k.a. The Smash. That's right, baby. Gaius Smash Williams himself is going to be here. But before then, we'll be releasing another bonus episode where we'll answer fan questions. We want to hear from you. Please send us your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't Can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, clearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.